Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, the 10th of October, 2023. My name is Mark Matthews. I'm head of research in Asia at Bank Julius Baer and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets update. There's so much to talk about. Let's start with the awful terrorist attacks in Israel. One often runs into criticism analyzing the impact on financial markets of such devastatingly savage events. So I'll quote our head of research, Christian Gadiger, who says, financial markets should reflect economic reality as closely as possible. And our view is that unless Israel's retaliation is so extreme that other parties step in, Past events suggest the economic impact is going to be very limited and the impact on financial markets as well. The big question, of course, surrounds oil. Iran's resumption of exports could now be in jeopardy. But we should remember that the United States government wants to avoid high oil prices, especially with an election looming next year. In an ABC Washington Post poll done just last month, 87% of respondents said that when it comes to gasoline prices, President Joe Biden was doing a not-so-good or poor job. 91% said the same for food prices. Well, food prices are linked to energy prices because the production, transportation, and storage of food are all energy-intensive. And Asia has found ways to import Iranian oil outside of Western sanctions. So the oil price, believe it or not, is lower than where it was two weeks ago. And despite the horrible headlines, we don't see it becoming an inflation risk. If we look back at what was occupying thoughts in the market before Israel, it was the relentless march higher in bond yields. The benchmark 10-year Treasury yield got to a high of 4.8% last Friday, it's back at 4.6% now, presumably on the idea the Fed won't be raising rates when it meets next month, even if our own view is that this geopolitical uncertainty won't have a lasting impact. The optics of raising rates in an environment like this just aren't very good. The futures market had been pricing a 30% chance of a rate hike in the November meeting. That's come down to 12% now. And the Federal Reserve doesn't like surprising the market. If it really felt that the market was wrong and there was a higher chance it was going to raise rates next month, it'd be sending a much stronger message to get those odds up. Still, the question needs to be asked, why did the 10-year Treasury yield get to 4.8% last Friday? Why is it still at 4.6% today when a month ago it was only 4.2%? And in a Reuters poll done last month of 29 private sector economists, only 23% of them thought it was going to go anywhere higher than 4.2%. Even the most bearish didn't see it getting to 4.6% where it's at today. And the question is a bit of a head-scratcher, because all along we have been obsessed with inflation, it's true. But actually, the market is not obsessed with inflation anymore. We know that, because the five-year break-even inflation rate. That's what the market thinks inflation will be on average over the next five years. Is only 2.2%. Now, 2.2% is hardly a large number. In fact, that's exactly where the Federal Reserve wants inflation to be. We'll get the Consumer Price Index inflation number for September on Thursday, 
it shouldn't be a big number. The Cleveland Federal Reserve has a good track record for predicting it based on high-frequency data. And it's showing core inflation falling from 4.34% in August down to 4.17% in September. So that's moving in the right direction. And the real-time numbers for residential property prices and rents tell us that the very important shelter subindex within the CPI basket, important because at 40% of the core basket, it's by far the largest component, is going to continue to roll over. So if it's not inflation driving Treasury yields higher, what else could it be? The answer may lie on Capitol Hill in Washington. After the continuation resolution that maintains the same federal government funding as the existing fiscal year expires on November 17, Congress is going to have to agree on something new. But the Republicans who control the House want slimmed-down individual bills that the Democrats who control the Senate will never approve. They want an omnibus spending bill that packages all the small ones together that gets passed with only one vote in both chambers of Congress, and the Republicans hate those because they say big slush funds get hidden inside them and other things that they don't agree with. For example, the Washington Post is reporting the White House is considering attaching Ukraine funding to a request for urgent aid to Israel to get aid for Ukraine through Congress despite Republican objections. Last month, former President Donald Trump took over as frontrunner in the aggregate polls and the aggregate online betting sites for the election next year. The betting sites have him at 33.4% versus Biden's 30.7%. You'll remember the old phrase, it's the economy, stupid, from the 1992 election where George Bush lost to Bill Clinton because of the recession that year. I mentioned an ABC Washington Post poll earlier. That same poll asked respondents to rate President Biden on the economy. 74% said he's doing a not-so-good job or a poor job on the economy. No wonder the Democrats want to spend a lot more. But if the government does spend a lot more, it has to increase its debt. Last month, the federal government debt surpassed the $33 trillion mark for the first time. That's a 50% increase since before the pandemic. If it goes up even more, well, it's Economics 101 that the greater the supply of something, the price of that something should go down. When bond prices go down, their yields go up, which means even higher interest expenses. The higher the interest expenses, the wider the budget deficit, the wider the budget deficit, the worse the government's creditworthiness, the worse the government's creditworthiness, the higher the interest rate. It's a self-fulfilling loop. So the reason why Treasury yields were going up until the tragic events in Israel may be that. The government is trying to tell the government, you better cut spending, because we're getting into a really bad reinforcing spiral downward. With a Democrat Senate, the chances they don't increase spending are pretty much zero, unless the market forces them. But as much as all this may sound very pessimistic and foreboding, look at the U.S. dollar. It's 6% higher than it was in June. Bitcoin and gold are 6% lower. The United States needs better and younger leadership. It needs institutional and constitutional reform. 
But the other way of looking at these painful situations, like the skyrocketing debt, like the tragedy in Israel, is they could force necessary reforms. As far as the federal government debt goes, if the United States doesn't reform, it could eventually default and restructure its debt. But that's a story for 2035, not 2025. And as far as the situation in the Middle East goes, Hamas and Iran are in deep trouble. Here's an analogy to consider. Why didn't the Americans take out the Fordo uranium enrichment facility in Iran when they took out General Soleimani in 2020? Well, it's because they didn't want to anger Europe. Putin solved that problem for them quite elegantly when he invaded Ukraine. It's possible Hamas has just done the same. Looking into the end of the year, we see a fourth quarter rally in the cards for the stock market, with the 7% correction in the S&P 500 index in August and September, only 13% of its constituent companies are trading above their 50-day moving averages. That's only happened around 20 times since 1990. Forward returns, when the percent reached that range, were on average 2% one month forward, 5.5% three months forward, and 12% six months forward. Something else that's encouraging is from our technical analyst, Mensur Pochinsi. He found that since 1950, more than half of the S&P 500's returns have come in the fourth quarter alone. The other half, therefore, were in the first three quarters of the year. Well, we just started the fourth quarter six trading days ago. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead. We'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.